The belief in a fair go is embedded in Australian society, yet gender inequality continues to be a problem and it's holding the economy back. So what can be done about this on, ongoing inequality and why should Australia as a nation care? So if you like this intro, this is a blurb from, um, an, uh, from the book, um, Advance Australia Fairly. So welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes with DailyStraits.com. This is your host, June Ramley. So when it comes to gender equality in Australia, one person has heaps of knowledge to say about this topic. And that one person is Dr. Catherine Evans. So Catherine has really recently penned a book called Advance Australia Fairly and why there is a need for Australia to have a national plan for gender e equality to drive the nation's success. So Dr. Catherine is the Australian uh, Managing Director of a multinational biotechnology company. She's a qualified pharmacist um, who made a mark as a top salesperson for companies such as Rocher, Cochlear and Sanofi before going to earn her MBA in business uh, administration in 2019 um, and uh, for her influential research on women in senior leadership. So, and in uh, 2020, her research findings were published in the Asian Pacific Journal of Human Resources. So, our chat with Dr. Catherine today is going to be revolved about her book and also how Australian businesses can do better by inculc inculcating more women in the uh, top management position. So, there's also a big uh, surprise at the end of the podcast. So, please tune in till the end. So hi, Dr. Catherine. Thank you so much for coming to the show and joining us today. How are you? Hello, June. Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. Thank you. This is a fabulous topic to be discussing today. Yes. So let's dive right into the question. So can you just tell us it's a really uh, a big topic and a hard one to tackle. So what was the why did you pen the book in the first place? Oh, goodness. I, look, I think like many women, I've faced challenges throughout my career. And I have two teenage daughters and I really want to hope that they have every opportunity that could be available to them. Uh, I think that was the optimistic view that I had when I was at school. My parents taught me and my sister and brother that we could be anything we wanted as long as we worked hard and got edu good education and that's all that mattered. And in fact, I think my experience and many other many other people around the world find that that's not quite the case. So I really want to be an agent for change and I believe that it's not just the right thing to do. From a moral perspective, we all deserve equal opportunity in life, but it's also um, really good for the nation. There are huge economic benefits for organisations, businesses and for us as a country. Awesome. So how long have you been researching on the topic? Like, you know, and what were the, some of the challenges you faced in putting the book together? I have been researching almost 10 years now. And uh, first of all, it was uh, aiming to do PhD research. And then um, on from that, I wanted to publish. And, and I think the book is, is really enabling that academic research to become accessible to be very much in plain language and understandable by the business community and by politicians who are making the important decisions in our, um, in our nation. 
so I think the biggest challenge that I faced really would be the reaction that I get because this is a very complex issue and we really, especially in Australia, we want to believe that we are fair, that we make decisions based on merit alone. We hear this a lot and everybody wants to believe that they make decisions in the best interests of their business, of, um, of the sphere of influence that they have. But, you know, it's just a natural part of the human psyche that we prefer people who are like us. And so unconsciously, we make decisions that are coloured with that bias. It's not intentional. Um, we all believe that we're doing the right thing, but um, it, it just happens. And it can have a profound impact. And what I found was when I discussed with people the research that I was doing, everybody has a reason. They have a rationale. They explain to themselves when it comes to women and why there is, why we don't see enough women at the leadership level is, oh, it's because they're off having babies. Oh, it's because they just need more time to get educated, to get the right experience. So everybody has come up with their own rationale. And in fact, what my research shows is that those, those things are simply not true. They're myths. So what about the writing? Because you're work, working full time and you have a family and how did you like find the time to write? Yeah, it's a, look, it's a juggling act. But I think when you really believe in something and uh, you really want to commit to it. So, yes, my I've got to. I really thank my husband because he wrangled the children out of the way on many occasions when I needed to just sit down and get it done. Uh, like so many of the very senior women that I interviewed as part of my research, having a supportive partner certainly um, makes a big difference. Um, but I think it's not just up to the individual families, it's up to us to think about the systems in our businesses, in our society that, um, that need to support women better in order to give them uh, those chances to reach the very tops of our organizations. Awesome. So, okay. Um, so you yourself are a person, person in high, high standing in a multinational company. So can you tell us about your experience? How hard was it for you to climb the corporate ladder? Uh, Look, I think that like many women, I face challenges along the way, but I am extremely determined and I don't give up. And if I reflect on my history and, and part of what makes me want to, to do this research, you know, I recall when I was a child that um, my beloved grandfather um, was working as a, as a courier and was allowed to take one of the grandchildren out on the uh, rounds in his truck. And um, my brother, the youngest brother, ended up going, not me as the eldest child. I was just devastated. And it was purely because I was a girl. And then early on in my career as a pharmacist, I spent a day unpaid work experience for a pharmacy uh, that had asked me to come in, only to be told at the end of the day, look, you're obviously a very professional pharmacist, the staff all liked you, you got on well with the customers, I had great feedback, but don't quote me on this, I've decided I, wanted a, I want a man. <laughs> so then I think to my more recent career, and you know, I, I'm very persistent, I don't let those things stop me. Uh, you know, I was a Me Too statistic um, with a, a very senior uh, a CEO who, whose attention turned personal. 
shake that off. But even even now, um, in my role as a managing director, uh, you know, often the feedback that I get is, Catherine, you just need your communication style is perceived as too aggressive. Um, and that agency and confidence that is much celebrated in male leaders is not perceived the same way for women. And we see in research that women get feedback about their aggressive, abrasive communication styles 75% of the time compared to only 2% of men. And men get uh, feedback that is that is uh, helpful to their job performance, not about their communication style. So we have a double standard when it comes to the way that we perceive our employees in the workforce, especially our leaders. Okay, that's great. So in most offices, we are barred from discussing our salaries with our co-workers in the open, but generally men do get paid more because of the traditional concept that they are the breadwinners mm. of a family and hence they need more pay. Um, so with all this in mind, how do you propose that we close the gender pay gap among men and women in Australia? That's true. That's so true, June. I think what we see in the public service where salaries are very transparent, that there is far less of a gap. And, and certainly in some industries such as financial services, where there are, is a large proportion of the remuneration that is um, uh, that is, that is uh, you know, commission or it's discretionary, that we see a much greater gap. And, and it is very secret. And, um, and women don't know. Um, what to ask for. They don't know what the gap is. And we see it even from the very earliest time of graduation, that there is a that there is a gap um, that grows over the course of a woman's career um, from, you know, just under 10% at the time of graduation to close to 30% when, when women reach senior levels. And I think it is, um, there's a couple of things. Um, one, of course, is individual organisations really need to, to um, do the audits, do the analysis, and it is within the control of the leaders and the organisations to fix it. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's a simple answer. But I think also we have uh, legislation in Australia that requires, um, it requires employers with um, with employees of more than 100 to report annually their gender statistics. Um, to 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 the government and um, uh, and they do so, but there's no penalties. There's no consequences. There's essentially uh, what I what I hear from the women that I interview is that the legislation lacks teeth. Okay. So it's really up to the individual organisation if they have a will. Great. If they don't have a will, then nothing changes. Okay. So um, COVID has brought about a raft of changes in the way we work. As you know, one of them is work from home or the hybrid concept, like few days in the office, two days in, at home. So that, this has been great for women who can juggle um, home duties and work itself. So, but some people are saying that if you continue doing this, then you you'll probably be passed on for promotions. So it's, it's like a threat, you see? So can you tell us your take on this? Like, why do they, like, you know, why do they, you know, say all this stuff? And let's not forget that it's good for men too. There are men who want to spend more time with their families, who, who want to be able to balance their work life with, with other things that are important to them. So I think, 
if there's anything good to come out of COVID, it definitely is that propensity for more flexibility and more recognition of the whole person, not just their um, their ideal worker status. Because there has been that traditional view that the ideal worker is available 24-7, comes in early, doesn't leave until the boss has gone home. Uh, and, and certainly there have been penalties for women who have worked part-time, for women who um, uh, who want flexible arrangements, and, and it comes back to to the confirmation bias. Uh, if, if, a, um, if a woman is off having a business meeting, it'll be assumed that they're, that they're picking up their kids. Um, if, they, uh, if they perform really well, it's assumed that it was just good luck. Whereas if something goes wrong, well, you know, it was, it was their fault. So there definitely is a level of bias in the way that we look at it. But I do think there's a great opportunity for both men and women with the flexible arrangements to be able to, to balance all of that and hopefully level the playing field. And I think as um, it's important that male leaders and female leaders take the opportunity to do that, to set the norm so that people can see from the very top that that is okay and that that is acceptable uh, and that um, people can still perform well, be promoted, be developed, even when they're working in a flexible um, style. So I feel quite hopeful about the opportunities for that in the future. Awesome. So how do Australian businesses support more women to participate fully in our labour market? Mm. No, I think that's a really important one, given the skills shortage that we're facing in Australia right now. And it was recognised at the recent um, Labor Government uh, Jobs and Skills uh, Summit. We as a uh, country invest a huge amount in women's education and have done for decades. And Australia leads the world in, in female education. But we're just not reaping the rewards of that investment because um, we we actually have the third lowest rate of female full-time employment in the OECD. So women are not remaining engaged and connected to the workforce uh, as much as other countries. And if we were to raise our rates of female full-time employment to that of Sweden, PwC has calculated that that would add another $175 billion to our economy. So there's a huge economic gain to be made. And, you know, and this is one of the arguments that I make for the need for a national plan to address this. So how do we do that? How do we keep women engaged in the workforce? Well, there, look, there's a bunch of toolkits that are available on Human Rights website, on the uh, Women's Gender Equality Agency website, but um, essentially things like um, ensuring there is good child care support. We don't want women saying, well, I could work another one or two days a week, but I'm going to lose it all in childcare. It's just not worth it. Mm -hmm. How do we address that, you know, through government support or things like allowing childcare to be tax deducted, like other, other things that support people in the workforce can be? Because we know that women um, still in our society carry the bulk of the load at home with childcare and domestic duties. It's just a fact of, of life in our society. Um, you know, and ensuring that women still have those opportunities, even when they are in those short periods of disruption um, through the child rearing years, to re remain connected. So connecting them in to important 
um, meetings and allowing them to be connected to their teams, even perhaps when they're off, if they so choose, and enabling them to, um, to have promotions and to advance their careers even throughout that period paying them superannuation, mm. having incentives to come back to the workforce full time. And look, a lot of it ends up being um, what they call benevolent sexism, which is really it's the frontline managers who say, oh, well, she wouldn't be interested in that promotion because she's just had a young baby. Um, with, you know, making assumptions which are not necessarily true. And I've talked to women who many years down the track, even long after their children have grown or, or are no longer in that high needs situation, still working part time, still um, their careers have not gone anywhere. And they say, you know what, um, if I'd made a different decision, you know, I really feel that I could have advanced more and uh, I just haven't had the opportunities that I have. So it's, it's really twofold. And and like I say, the, the frontline managers actually have a really big role to play here. Okay, so your um, I mean your your book touches about um, public listed companies, AXX companies having very little um, uh, women in top posts, top management posts. Mm. Um, most importantly, I would like to ask: there's also a bigger barrier when it comes to Australian women of color into such. Mm -hmm. So, um, do you have a remedy on how we can fix that? Yes, look, that's right. Uh, the, the, the issue is even more so for women of colour. You know, I, um, I get asked a lot about the discrimination against minorities and, and, and what we can do to address that as well. And I think about the perspective that um, Ahmed Fahour, who's a Muslim Lebanese Australian, used to head up Australia Post. When he came into that role, there were zero women on the senior executive team. And, and um, three to four years later, he had met the goal of 40%, which is gender balanced. And he said, if we can't get something as plainly obvious as gender right, then what hope do the rest of us have? What hope does anyone who is slightly different, um, what does it mean for our, our uh, Indigenous people, our minorities? And so I think that um, focusing on women who make up 50% of the population, roughly 50% of the workforce, if you can get that right, a lot of the rest will follow. But I do agree that there is a particular um, challenge for women of colour and it, and it certainly is something that we need to consider because our senior ranks ought to reflect our workforce. They ought to reflect the, um, uh, the population, the educated um, uh, women and men who are coming through instead of what we have at the moment which is a group of um, white male, 50 something, able-bodied heterosexuals who really only make up 8% uh, of our population and yet they make up um, more than 90% of the CEOs of ASX companies. So we've got to, we've got to start with getting that balance right. Awesome. So um, in Asia, uh, which is not too far from here, mm -hmm. so a lot of women taking up leadership, leadership positions, so, but they are always faced with a lot of flack from the public. 
Mm. So it, like if you con like they they get keep keep uh, being told that if you continue doing well in work, then you're going to find it hard to find an equal partner in life. So these threats mm. can often slow things down for a woman that has goals mm. in her career. So mm. so what do you have to say about that? Yes, it's it's uh, women shouldn't have to choose, should they, between whether they have a career or they have a family. Um, I've been asked in interviews, so who's looking after your children during the school holidays? My husband's never been asked that question. Uh, I met with our new federal MP just recently and she told me that she, she was abused on the street when she was campaigning because someone said, you know, you should be focusing on your children, not how are you going to do that when you're running for, for a position in the federal government. It's just crazy. Those sort of attitudes, fortunately, are starting to die out, um, but there are, are still some vocal ones. Uh, I think that, um, that that really speaks to the reason that we, we need a national plan. We need it to start at the top because if our politicians, our governments, our business leaders believe in the importance of gender equality not just as the right thing to do for humankind but as uh, something that is going to have an economic benefit for all of us then that will help to address some of those social prejudices that um, unfortunately are still there okay finally um who on and why should someone read your book and basically what can they get out of it Oh, look, I've written this book for business leaders, for our um, our politicians who are the ones that make the decisions, not just women. I've been to too many meetings where women sit around the table, we have a panel of women on the stage, and we all know this. We share these experiences, but we need to have everybody in the room to believe in the importance of equality, as I said, not just for the as the right thing to do, but as something that's going to advance our economy and make us all successful. So I, I hope that people will take this book um, so that they can get a, a, a really accurate factual picture of what the circumstances really are, rather than those myths that keep getting perpetuated, like it'll just take time. You know, it's going to take more than 200 years at the rate we're going. And that's just not good enough. It's just not good enough. The fact that we've stagnated at 6% of our country CEOs of our top companies being women, it's just not good enough. Um, especially when we spend so much time, money, and um, educating our, our girls and our women. And so I really hope that not only will they get the facts straight, but also see that there is something that we can do, something that we can do as a nation, as a business, and that it's really important that we invest in this now because we can't afford not to. As we recover from the pandemic, uh, now more than ever before, do we need to ensure that our nation is sustainable um, economically and that everyone uh, can uh, flourish uh, and succeed in life? It's good for all of us. Okay, great. So that is all the time that we have for today. We have just been speaking with Dr. Catherine Evans, the author of Advance Australia Fairly. Thank you so much, uh, Catherine, for speaking with us today. Thank you, June. It's been an absolute pleasure. Awesome. So uh, the pleasure is all ours, actually. Um, there, to our listeners out there, we have a special. Uh, thank you for listening throughout the podcast. We have a special um, 
giveaway for you. It's the book itself. I hope you can see it. So I have it here and it's signed. Uh, it's signed. Yep, it's signed. So if any one of you would like a copy of this book, please send us your name and your address to editor at dailystraits.com. And we'll send it uh, to all our Australian readers, especially. Uh, so we'll send it out to you as soon as we get the info. Thank you so much uh, and have a nice day. Thank you. That's wonderful, June. And if anyone uh, wants a copy and has missed out on the competition, please um, go to my website, katherinejevans.com.au and you can find out how to purchase a copy there. Thank you. Yes, awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, the, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.